Let us pray. Oh Lord, open our eyes that we may see you. Open our ears that we may hear you. Open our hearts that we may feel you. Holy Spirit, come. We invite you here. Amen. Nancy and Richard were the perfect couple. Nancy was a talented and charming young lady who could have been whatever she wished, but all she wanted to be was a mom and a wife. Richard was a jock, a six foot three, 230 pound baseball and football player, the gentle giant, as he was nicknamed. They fit together like two pieces of a puzzle. They were happily married, expecting their first baby as they lived in one of the safest and wealthiest neighborhoods in the north suburb of Chicago called Winnetka. One spring evening in 1990, Nancy's sister Jean took the couple out for dinner along with their parents to celebrate Nancy's pregnancy. They had a wonderful dinner with warm love and laughter and parted ways with plans to see each other again the next day. The next morning, however, Jean received a call from her dad telling her that Nancy and Richard were dead. When Nancy and Richard returned home the night before, someone had broken into their house and was waiting for them in the living room. The intruder shot them both to death and fled the scene. Needless to say, this put Jean's life into a tailspin. Six months later, they found the murderer he was a 16-year-old boy who lived only several houses down from them. Eventually, he was convicted of murder and received life in prison without parole. Even though justice had been served, how do you go on after a horrific murder of your sister? More impossible yet, could she ever forgive the murderer of her sister? In our Genesis narrative of Joseph and his brothers today, we find evil that's almost worse than the story of Nancy and her husband. A stranger's act of evil enrages us. But what do you do when your own family intentionally sells you into slavery, intentionally betrays you and wishes you ill? How do you forgive them? In this last chapter in Genesis, Jacob, Joseph's father, is dead, and Joseph's brothers are afraid of what Joseph will do to them. Although he was sold into slavery by his brothers, Joseph eventually won the favor of Pharaoh and is now the second in command in Egypt. Without the protection of their father, his brothers are totally at the mercy of Joseph's wrath. So they throw themselves at Joseph's feet, asking him to forgive them. While their apology sounds rather contrived and calculated, Joseph's forgiveness sounds pretty real and heartfelt. Joseph weeps and says to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Now, there are two words here that cut deeply into me and help me to define what forgiveness is. Joseph says, you intended to harm me, but God. But God. Those two words represent the attitude which Joseph lived his life. They represent Joseph's faith that regardless of what happens, his life 
is in God's hands and not in the hands of those who are trying to harm him. He can forgive because of his but God attitude, which he had fostered within his heart when he was sold into slavery by his brothers and when he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife and when he was thrown into prison as a result. This tells us that forgiveness is much more than an attitude of the heart rather than a single act. Dr. King said it best when he said, forgiveness is not an occasional act. It is a constant attitude. But God attitude acknowledges that our forgiveness comes from a deep place of knowing that God has our back. God is at work even when we don't know it. I wonder what some of your but God moments are in your life. Who are the people in your life where you can say, but God to today. But God attitude of forgiveness also acknowledges that forgiveness is not about keeping score. In Matthew 18, Peter asks how many times he should forgive his brother and suggests a proud number of seven. You see, Jewish tradition limited forgiveness to three times. So when Peter said seven times, he thought he was being much more generous than the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. But you see, seven is still a countable number. Jesus says to Peter, try 77 times, or in another translation, 70 times seven. In other words, Jesus is saying you should forgive limitless times because God has forgiven you without limit because that's who God is. Likewise, forgiveness is not about your doing, but it's about your becoming. It's about who God is and who you are becoming because of God. Who are you becoming today? Furthermore, but God attitude of forgiveness is always life-giving. Joseph says, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. When we live with the but God attitude, we live as life-givers for ourselves as well as for others. Corrie ten Boom, a survivor of the Holocaust, tells the story of when she went to speak at a church in Holland. After she spoke on the importance of forgiveness at one of the churches, a man came up to her. She immediately recognized him as the guard where she and her sister were held as prisoners. He came up to her and said, I was a guard at the concentration camp where you were held. But since that time, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear from your lips as well. Will you forgive me? At that moment, Corey Ten Boom had a very difficult time taking his hand and forgiving him. But she says this about forgiveness. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. 
Realizing this, she prayed for Jesus to help her. And she finally thrust her hand into her enemy's hand. <laughs> and as she did, she says something incredible happened. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, she cried with all my heart. You see, forgiveness pumps new life into us. When we can finally say, you meant to harm me, but God meant it for good, new life is granted to us as well as to our wrongdoers. It may be difficult to forgive those who have wronged us, but when we hold onto the grudge, we're only killing ourselves. There's a quote that says, holding a grudge is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Holding a grudge is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Who are you holding a grudge against today? I hope you'll stop drinking that poison and realize but God attitude of forgiveness always promises us new life. And such was the case with Jean. I actually grew up with the story of Nancy and Richard's horrific murder because I lived only about 10 minutes from Winneka where they had lived. I didn't find out the details of the story until I stumbled upon Jean Bishop's book, Change of Heart, where she chronicles the murder of Nancy and Richard and what happened afterwards. Although Jean knew she forgave the killer, she had no intention of reconciling with them as he did not admit guilt. 20 years after the murder, she came across a quote by a pastor named Randall O'Brien. No Christian is ever in the position of privilege, wronged one or wrongdoer, where he or she is excused from the responsibility of working for reconciliation. She reached out to O'Brien and asked him what reconciliation with the murder of her sister who had not admitted guilt might look like. And O'Brien said this to her. It would look like Jesus on the cross. He went on to say, what did Jesus do on the cross while he was being murdered? He prayed for those who were murdering him at the very moment they were in the act of killing him. This both broke and changed Jean's heart. 20 years after the murder, she wrote a letter to the murderer of her sister and visited him in prison and actually became his friend. As a public defender for the city of Chicago, she started to work tirelessly to abolish life sentence without parole for juvenile offenders. What would my life look like if I lived a but God life? How would I love people differently? What would I become? He betrayed me, but God. She stabbed me in the back, but God. They hurt me and my family so much, but God. My family abandoned me, but God, how would your life 
And if we're honest with ourselves, many times that person we cannot forgive is none other than ourselves. That is definitely the case with me. Sometimes the hardest truth to accept is that God can forgive me. You may have condemned yourself for not being brave enough, smart enough, good enough, gracious enough, whatever enough. But God not only forgives you, but loves you with the love that is greater than life itself. At this time, I want you to close your eyes and let the person who needs your forgiveness come to your mind. The one that's really difficult for you to forgive. Yes, that person. And to that person's face, I want you to say, but God, but God, but God. The evil that has been done to you or to your loved ones or to certain groups of people is not the end. That's never the end. It starts over again with, but God, but God meant it for good. May you hold on to that truth and live into that attitude of but God now and always. Amen.